I'm terrific. We're cloudy in Watford. The football season's starting tomorrow. Watford will sack their manager by October. I like Johnny Lou's line because he said, interim manager Shishko Munoz. He's not interim, but all Watford managers are interim managers. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that is pretty much Watford in a nutshell. It's... This is the era. We'll, we sold our soul so that Gino Pozzo could do what he wants. Because in 2011, 10 years ago, Watford nearly went bust. Yeah. Really poorly managed. And then the Pozzos were sniffing round, bought this club, brought in all the players from Udinese. And now 10 years later, uh, our biggest problem is that we're signing, we've signed nine players, which is our biggest incoming for years. So hopefully it'll work, but it's a big gamble. Which is when you bring in so many players, and we've seen it with other clubs, right? When they bring in, like Fulham did it right, they brought like seven, eight, nine players, and then they couldn't keep them up. That's a good comparison. Abdullah, Abdullah, so good, they named you twice. Um, (laughs) Do you regret being called first name, surname? Are you Abdullah, son of Abdullah? Is that why you're so called? It's, yeah, it's kind of something like that, where when I was born, family name was Abdullah and then they just like I think both sides of the family just like the name so much that they decided to call me the same thing and then it's just it just happened and kind of I've got a I've got a middle name but I, I prefer going with the first last name because it's a nice icebreaker for mm-hmm. conversations you know people you know it's, it's nice to go and say oh got the same name twice and then you can just kind of roll from there so I just kind of stuck with it have you met anyone else who has the same um glory <laughs> I, I maybe maybe out here in Dubai, I think I've met one person with a similar, like the same first and last name. Not obviously not Abdullah Abdullah, but like somewhere, like his name was like Ahmed Ahmed, mm-hmm. and that was it. I think that's the only other person I've met. Otherwise, no, I've not met anybody with the same name twice. Yes, you mentioned you are in Dubai. This is your weekend. We're talking on Friday the thirteenth. I don't know if it's unlucky in the Middle East. Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're good. I think we're good. Good. Um, how is it? How hot is it in August? Oh, I think we sit anywhere between 35, 37 and 45 degrees. I would say that the temperature right now is kind of around, it's around 40-ish degrees. And we've got 30, 37% humidity. It can go up to at least 60, 70, 80% of the humidity, which is, which is horrible. Like, I'm not, I'm not too worried about the heat. It's more, uh, it's more the humidity. So if it's 41 right now, 37% by evening, it may just go up to, you know, 60%. And we're just, we just step outside and we're soaked in sweat. Yeah. I mean, I have a great story about being in New York in a heat wave. And I remember walking, not even in Trump Tower, just past the doorway and the amount of hot air coming out to condition just the lobby of, the, of Trump Tower um, and then you step in outside it and it's far too hot. Uh, Trump Tower, famous because of which FIFA um, whistleblower? Guy with the cats who had an apartment for his cats. His name was Chuck Blazer. Chuck Blazer, of course. Yeah, yes. the plea bargain. That's, that's, of course. So he blew the whistle. That's, uh, that's, that's a good bit of trivia to start off with. Early quiz question. Here's another quiz question. Segway. How many matches in the Ligue 1 for women did Lyon, Olympic Lyon Féminin, go unbeaten before losing to Paris Saint-Germain? Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's in the 80s. I think it's 80. I have to say it's 80. That is brill. You are absolutely correct. Um, This is in your new book, your first book. There is a second one, but we'll get to that later. Queens of Europe, Olympic Lyonnais Féminin by Abdullah Abdullah. Published by Pitch, it's twelve ninety nine, 
Um, I don't know how many words there are in it, but the images are great. You've got heat maps and tactics, and this is the new kind of football book that could not have been written five years ago because there would not be an audience. Correct, correct. So I think it's 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 been a nice rise in the last few years. I mean, I started writing tactical work in 2018, and obviously in the men's game, we know that this has been prevalent for a long, long time now. Uh, but the women's game, it wasn't really there. So for me, I, I mean, I was writing men's football for about a year. In 2019, around the World Cup, I I think I, the opportunity came to write about the Women's World Cup. So I took it, and I think I started writing about France. And kind of since then, I just kind of thought, you know what, this is, there's so much scope here to go into tactics, and there is there is a place for it. And so there wasn't an audience as much as there is now. I thought, you know, this might be a good place to stick around with it. You know, almost three years to kind of the month uh, later, uh, we've got a book and a half coming out, and uh, there is a huge audience for tactics. People, people are craving it; they love it, you know. And it's it's kind of in that period where they want so much because they've seen so much in the men's game, and they're like, you know, they want to consume as much on the women's side of the game. And there's right now a lower supply and a higher demand, so the, the few of us that are doing this are more in demand for getting this sort of content out. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it was a good time for, for something like this to come up. Yes, and supported by Pitch, who are the number one publisher of football books. Uh, you may not have known that, but there, Lee, Lee Scott has done a lot of, um, has worked a lot with publications with Pitch. Did you pitch the idea to Paul and Jane or did they get in touch with you? Funnily enough, uh, I, I pitched to them, but I actually got in touch with them because of Lee Scott. So me and Lee used to write together uh, for a website called Total Football Analysis, and that's where I met him, and that's where I've heard about pitch publishing. And um, I kind of during lockdown, you know, last year, I decided to try my luck, and I, and I said, you know, I pitched to them, and I said, look, um, I feel like this is a this is something that's new. This is something that you guys don't have, and I, I feel like this could be a start of something new. And, and it's not just a one-off. I feel like there could be two, three, four in the making, and that could make you know pitch publishing at the front front center of, of football tactics in the women's game. And they kind of they kind of took a chance. They bid on it you know immediately, and you know here we are. I think that's the great frontier because, as you see, with the work of Tom Warville and Michael Cox and Alex Stewart. There is a whole load of tacticians. I love Alex Stewart's line about how he watches football with the mute button. Well, we're talking on the day that the 21-2 Premier League kicks off. Now, there is a slight time delay in Dubai, but I imagine you're staying up tonight because it'll be 68% humidity for Brentford against Arsenal. On what channel do you watch it? Is it BN? Yes, yes, we BN has the package here, so they have it for the Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga, Champions League, Europa League. So they kind of have the monopoly on all the leagues. So I just have their package, and I kind of watch all the games uh, whenever I can. Uh, especially the Premier League is the one I I try and not miss every weekend. So yeah, I will be up tonight. I think it kicks off at about eleven o'clock for me. So it's not too bad considering I'm off tomorrow. Yes, of course, we should say this is uh, Friday. Is the Muazin day? The call to prayer day. It's your Shab- uh, yes. Shabbos. It's your Sabbath. Uh, this podcast, by the way, will go out the week before Jewish New Year. And as I always say, we've got the same God and Salam is it's the same meaning as Shalom. So I would hope that there are more uh, Muslim football writers because there aren't that many. Can you think of any? 
Uh, no, exactly right. Yeah, I think Maram Pernainti, she shout out to her. She's a, she, she's a Bahraini uh, a data analyst, similar to Tom Warville, and does a lot of writing as well on Twitter. She's the only other big personality in the Muslim world that I can think of. Um, so probably me and her are probably the only two. And she does a lot of Manchester United men's football-related work. So she does some great work. She's, she's amazing. I've spoken to her a couple of times. So probably the, we're probably we're the only two minority in a, in in the world of football tactics. Well, yes, um, and I'm celebrating the world of Brian Glanville, who is 90 this month, whose real name is Brian Goldberg. And, of course, Jews, uh, including me, are big on football, and uh, not football analytics, but you do get your football library, library card. But who do you want on it? Who do you want to place on your football library card? It can be an author, a player, a tactician, Jean-Michel Aulas... <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I think my so I, I'll preface this by saying that on the men's side, I am a I am a Chelsea fan, and I have been a Chelsea fan for almost twenty one years now. They've been the club of my childhood, and, and to the thing now. But and the women's game, I adopted Lyon as my as my team. So I think I think in terms of I think it, it kind of comes down to two personalities. I think for me, I think one is Jean Michel Olas. I think because he's just the pioneer of. And I think women's football, mainly because I think he started the revolution 10 years ago where it was him who really invested money into the women's team. And I think they still have a budget of approximately 10 million euros a year, which is probably one of the highest, if not the highest, in women's football. And that's how they've been able to sustain so much success. But I think at the, at the same time, I would put uh, Arda Hegerberg up there as well for kind of being this, you know, probably... Then you know she's been such a such an amazing player. There are comparisons to the, you know the Lionel Messi's and the Cristiano Ronaldo's in terms of her impact on the game and how good she's been. So uh, and obviously she's 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 sprinting herself into Lyon folklore. Um, so I, I would say I would say Olas first, and then probably I, I'd put in Ada Hegerberg. Yeah, we'll you know, put in both. Um, with regard to Hegerberg, the reason Norway didn't win the Women's World Cup is because the best player in the world refused to travel. I wonder if Hegerberg and Megan Rapinoe ever have a chat about women's rights in football, because that is the conversation I'd love to hear. Not just because they're both top, top players, but they realise that with this platform that they have, it's the generation under them coming through who will benefit from what they've done, albeit scoring 53 goals in 32 games in 1718 makes Ada Hegerberg one of the great figures of football today. And you've got a chapter about her and she's on the cover of your book, Queens of Europe. Uh, let's start with Hegerberg. Does she remind you of Messi in the way that she plays? You said she drops a little bit. I think to some extent, I think she's a mixture of both Ronaldo and Messi. I think she's got, I think she's got the qualities of both players, which kind of makes her unique because... Well, she's got she's got qualities of Messi where she can definitely link play and she can drop deep into into midfield and kind of you know bring other players into into contention into into midfield link up and create space for players going forward. I think she's got Ronaldo's ruthlessness in terms of his ability to just score goals, you know, like a, like a cold hearted assassin. Like she just when you need her, she steps up. And I feel like she's got that attitude on the pitch, you know, that's similar to Ronaldo, but she's got Messi's humility, you know, kind of off it, kind of the way she is, you know, way she is uh, in terms of linking play. So I think I think those are the qualities that remind me of her when she's playing. And, and I actually had the pleasure of, of speaking to her for the book. Um, I, I 
got a 20, 25 minute chat with her and she's an, an amazing person to speak to. And, and, and she loves, she actually loves tactics. I mean, I, 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 we never even got into the whole human rights business and that whole thing. We literally just spoke tactics, the team, how she felt about her role. And uh, she even kind of went over by five minutes because she was so enthused about the conversation. That's brilliant. And you see now that the conversation has turned from uh, pace power to the channels. I think it's because Pep Guardiola brought the channels into English football. Ever since I learned, and this is not news to a fan of Duff and Robin, that the key positions, what do I mean by the channels, the inside forward so, positions? So the, so the channels inside forward position, I would think, I think the best way if we want to bring a comparison is, Kind of the area that you know, Raheem Sterling will play, or maybe even a Jack Grealish will play. If I can bring in a Manchester City comparison here, kind of like so, not where you would have like a Leroy Sané or like a typical wide winger play, but kind of the space between where a striker is playing and where a winger is playing. Just that, just that, just that channel, as they say, in between there. That's kind of where these kinds of players operate, and kind of now where a lot of uh, creativity and a lot of like source of goals kind of come from almost like the I think I think the phrase the, the Kevin De Bruyne position you know he plays that phrase he kind of loves hitting into those into those channel positions if anybody that's seen Kevin De Bruyne play for both Belgium and Manchester City I think that's um that's kind of the easiest and the best way to kind of describe the area and the position. Thank you very much and this is why your work at Total Football Analysis <laughs> and her football hub is useful here you're also an analyst for Houston Dash in what way what do you do for them uh so we we connected last year just while i was at total football analysis and i did some work with them so i do i do a little bit of recruitment analysis and i do a little bit of opposition analysis with them on an ad hoc basis so you know if they need some some analysis on an opposition team they need they need some work done on, on a specific player they want to know about they'll, they'll they'll pick up the phone rather they'll just whatsapp me and kind of say hey look there's a here's another project for you can you can you give us something on X player, X team, and I just kind of draw up a presentation for them and then kind of present it, and you know that's kind of how we go from there. That's brilliant. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to promote Pressing Matters. Great title. I appreciate it. Now, for me, Pressing Pressing Matters is my own personal personal blog. Ever since I uh, I got I got the Houston Dash gig, and then obviously I, I had to leave the Total Football Analysis. I needed I wanted a place to kind of plug in my continue plugging in my work on women's football tactics and I, I created a substack called pressing matters uh, because for me that is one of the most fundamental part of tactics where it's become so prevalent in the modern game that you can't actually have a tactic without pressing so me for me pressing is pressing matters and how much does it cost at the moment it's free so oh, at the right. moment it's free for everyone to go and go and have a go and have a read all my all my work is free right now um kind of you know let's building up the following kind of getting people to kind of have, have an opportunity to kind of get used to my work and 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 build it up and you know who knows maybe later it turns into a into a subscription-based uh, outlet but for now it's all free for everyone to sign up and, and read I only ask because you'll have heard of this guy Dominic Cummings over here who got Boris Johnson into the number 10 Downing Street and then wanted to get rid of him because he got annoyed at his girlfriend. But Cummings apparently has 1,500 subscribers each paying £100 for his newsletter. That's £150,000. That's a lot of money. I mean, that's a nice bit of money, but that's a lot of money for a newsletter. I hope he's consistent with it. Oh, he's he is dropping... 
grenade. He famously mimes pulling a grenade pin out and chucking it over his shoulder when he leaves a room. So whereas here, he's actually earning money from chucking the grenades. But it's all very ugly, uh, much like Premier League football, which we will have to get to in the second half. I'm, I'm very interested in um, one of the stars of the women's game, Jennifer Marojan, whom I had not heard of, embarrassingly, before. I'd heard of Eugenie Le Sommet because I've seen her play against England. I'd heard of Wendy Renard, and both Renard and Le Sommet are on the cover of the book. Renard is like the Virgil van Dyke of women's football. She's about eight foot tall, not in heels, and uh, she is the, the, the chap, the player who starts all the moves at the back. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, for me, she's the face of, uh, she's been one of the faces of, of I mean, Leon have so many stars. Her spine is full of players that, you know, they're so uh, famous in, in the women's game and kind of been the stars of, um, of, of kind of where they've come from in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. But for me, Wendy Renard is kind of like this, like you said, perfect comparison and like the Virgil van Dijk in terms of her physique and her in terms of her play style. She kind of, you know, she keeps this. She keeps this back four in check. You know, there are you know there were there were the periods where she did get injured, and and obviously the back four isn't exactly the same. Though they have quality replacements. I mean, Kadisha Buchanan is is great. Regent Bok is another world class defender. But you know, there's a, there's a difference when there's no Wendy Renard and kind of her her ability to kind of just start attacks and kind of play out the back, kind of keep everything calm. You know, I almost liken her to a little bit of John Terry as well, where. You know, when he was in the team for England or for Chelsea, he just, you know, you could tell he had this aura about him when he was there about, you know, being a leader, being someone who could, you could control players, position them, keep, he's constantly talking to him. And I, I feel like Wendy Renard has got that similar sort of effect. Even now, I think um, she's, she's got that, even at, you know, over 30, I think she's still got that, that prowess and presence about her. She is the heart and soul of OL Femina. Uh, whereas Marochan, there are a few players that come along and set the world alight. They play in slow motion where they think and see three moves ahead. Uh, she's German and uh, she came close to winning the Ballon d'Or Femina, where she was third behind the non-twerking Hagerberg and Pernil Harder. That Ballon d'Or ceremony, it, at least it tried to put the women and the men on the same footing even though Martin Solveig's career was ruined because of that question. Um, but yeah, so Marajan was third and Hagerberg was first. They must have a wonderful understanding on the pitch. Marajan, you say, is a classic number 10 with elements of eight. So would you say, say she is the Kevin De Bruyne of Lyon? I was about to say that. I think she is pretty much the Kevin De Bruyne of Lyon because her... I think she's got a sixth sense in terms of being able to kind of find find positions on the pitch and find spaces in the pitch that I don't think anybody else can. And kind of she comes, she, she kind of spots these spots these moves, maybe three, four moves in advance. The kind of the attempt, the the, the uh, effect rather that, that Kevin De Bruyne has on this Manchester City team almost. You could not drop her because she was probably the most creative player in the team, um, and probably top three creative players uh, in in the world. She almost like she plays the game at such a at such a pace where it it looks slow to everybody else, but for her it's even slower. And though you think you can tackle her, but then within a flash she's got the ball out of her feet, 
ball is already beyond the defender. It's in behind, and um, you can. And she's one of those players where you can build this team around her. And you know, and 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 I think I think a lot of the credit uh, for her, you know, for, for Leon winning Champions League titles year after year is obviously Hegerberg's goals and Wendy Renard's uh, defending. But I think knitting the two together. Uh, from an attacking creative perspective, Marjan has kind of been this. Uh, I, I don't. I, I want to say almost an unsung hero because I don't think she gets the credit as as much credit as she deserves. Um, and now she's obviously ter- you know going in 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 the US for the OL Reign team and, and kind of doing her work over there. Yes, um, we will talk about OL Reign, which I didn't even know they changed the name. Uh, that's how far away I am from the domestic women's game. I do know that Chelsea got to the Champions League final. But um, yes, I was going to ask where Marojan learned her game. She was discovered signing for, in Germany, signed for Saarbrücken at 14, played as a first-teamer uh, at 15 in the Bundesliga, went to Frankfurt and then went to Lyon uh, in 2016. But yeah, how do these players learn how to play football? Is it through academies or being attached to clubs or playing for their local youth team? I think I think it's a mixture of kind of all three. I think you I think a lot of the a lot of the similarities that I saw, whether it's for Chelsea and whether it's for Lyon, whether it's for any other club, it's a lot of these girls kind of grew up playing with their siblings, so their brothers or you know, other sisters or and then they kind of then get attached to uh, boys academy so up until i think the age of 13 or 14 is kind of when they're almost been allowed to play and obviously this is back in the day now you've got specialists with female academies that can, that can you know harvest this sort of talent but you know back in the day it was play with the boys until 13 14 and then if you were good enough the, the very few female teams that were there whether they were in the top tier or whether they were in the bottom tier would kind of scout these players and then kind of pick them up. But it was very, very difficult at the time. And it was almost through word of mouth from these men's coaches that would maybe be told, you know, they would tell counterparts or other coaches in the women's game, say, hey, look, we've got this talented young attacking midfielder. We've got this talented young striker. I think you should have a look. And kind of that's, you know, I think that's where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the scouting came from, but um, but I think I think as the years have gone by, obviously we've seen some you know fantastic players in the last five, six, seven years. Uh, so that you know these players that were coming up ten years ago, they were being spotted for you know for, for a reason. Obviously now it's a little bit easier, but um, I think that's that's kind of how it was before. I think they've paved the way for these younger players, the new generation now, to kind of be able to get into academies early, being able to get spotted by the big teams. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll get into this later, but I think with Leon. They still go and try and catch the the best talent and kind of bring them in at an early age and kind of house them in their academy and kind of you know try and try and give them you know give them this this development kind of the way they did with uh, Katerina Macario from the US. She was a Stanford graduate, kind of the number one draft pick, and she had the choice of staying in NWSL or take a contract off from Europe. And you know, one phone call from Olasen and Ada Hegerberg and you know Macario. Mm-hmm signed the dotted lines for Lyon. Yeah. I was thinking the Olympics had mixed relay races in the swimming and the athletics. Do you foresee in the next 30 years, with the women's game getting better and with more girls watching and participating and with the lack of any tackling anymore, could we see a mixed, even like a futsal team, rather than than full 11 aside, six aside, mixed 
Three women, three men? It's a very good question. You know what? At this rate, the way it's developing and the way football is, is going, I wouldn't be surprised. Kind of because I think FIFA and UEFA are trying to find ways to kind of... I mean, they've got their own agendas, obviously, but I think they there are ways of trying to make football more interesting. And um, if there is a... You know, in some sense, if there are people who want to watch futsal 6v6 or even 3v3 or however they want to do it with men and women mixed i think that would be pretty fun to watch just because it would be nice to see you know the three best english players from the men and women side take on the three best french players on the men and women side you know in, in, in futsal uh, and i think that would be actually quite uh, quite interesting and quite almost intriguing to even if it, even if it's just a trial period for an olympics just to see how it goes i think i think it wouldn't be a bad experiment you know but yeah, no, it, it, it could be something. I mean, maybe maybe that is the next step, right? Maybe that is the next step into into trying. Maybe not, like I said, not eleven aside uh, pitch football, but uh, maybe indoor and maybe futsal. Yeah, just or exhibition to start with. Um, and I only mention that because there's a brief chapter about ex Leon player Lucy Bronze who has moved back to England now. Yeah. A star was born at the 2015 World Cup. We had no idea, or the, the wider world had no idea about Lucy Bronze's injury struggles. But what a wonderful player. And she must be great to analyse because she really is. You call her the modern day fullback. Uh, probably from a tactical point of view, she's probably my one of my favourite players to, to watch and look at. Even now for Manchester City, I, I, I still admire her as a player. I think she's, she's kind of, for me, the modern day the modern day personification of modern tactics. I, I think I likened her in the book to the way Guardiola has kind of made uh, David Alaba, Kyle Walker, even now Jao Cancelo. I, I feel like she's, you know, she's been molded into that kind of role, which is not easy because we all know how Guardiola just picks his, you know, he spent a lot of money on fullbacks, but he's kind of pick, picked and chosen his fullbacks to, you know, who have very specific skill sets. And I feel like, Bronze is, is probably the best fullback in the world, and I think she, for me, has those qualities. And she played a very similar role for for Leon, where she would she would kind of come in and become an extra an extra defensive midfielder in certain situations. And but she had the tactical brain, the intelligence, and kind of the the the, the stamina and the ability to kind of be able to make quick decisions, switch positions when she needed to kind of understand, okay, I need to be here at this point, I need to be here at this point, and kind of identify where and when. And I think in the three years that she spent at Leon, she kind of won everything. You know, we we're seeing her, I, I think we'll see, I think she, she had a good season last season, but I think we'll see the best of her this year with, with Gareth Taylor kind of finally settling into his team, a couple of good signings. I think I think Manchester City and Lucy Bronze are... Uh, I think will show uh, a lot more of a fight this year. Then, I mean, not that they didn't last year; they just they just lost it. But I think it'll be much much closer this year. No, I would tend to agree. We also have just had the Olympics. Canada beat Sweden on penalties. I saw some of the final. Um, the USA, however, um, were giant slain by Sweden. That was the shock result of the year. Yes, America went back to win the bronze medal. But that has set uh, fans questioning. This is the team who believes that they'll win every game. They are the Leon of the world game. So America, uh, North America, with this changing Carly Lloyd may not be in the World Cup team, although don't put it past her. I'm like, I'm going to come out and ask you who's going to win the World Cup in 2023. You know, I 
actually after this, watching this Olympics and kind of watching the US uh, over the last, probably the rest of, you know, all of 2021, I think it's, it's a very tough call because I think there are now, I think there are four teams who could, who could probably win it. Um, and, and, and it's very hard to kind of pinpoint who exactly it is. Obviously, you can never rule out the US, though they lost. I lost, but um, I think with a, uh, they've got some good young players coming through, and I think with a few couple of changes and and just kind of getting that squad settled, I think they'll be up there. So I think that's one. I think Sweden have shown that they've got this really good core, of big mix of young and experienced players who have kind of shown that they're they're that they're ready to fight you know on the world stage. I'd say France uh, probably this is in my opinion France's last opportunity. Last or probably even second last. Obviously, you've got the Euros and then you've got the you've got the World Cup after that. Between these two tournaments, I feel like this is France's best chance because a lot of their golden generation is on the wrong side of 30, and I think they're in their prime right now. So, you know, Renard, Amandine Henri, uh, Eugénie Lissomère, I think the like are, are kind of, this is their best chance. I think France is another big one. Uh, the Lionesses, England, uh, are always going to be up there with the quality of players that they have. And don't I think jinx us. Don't. <laughs> We're the underdogs. We're the dark horses. But our best 11 is superb. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Let's just listen to the dark horses. <laughs> Thank you. you know, Serena's coming in. She's going she's gonna, to she's gonna work her magic there. Uh, and then kind of the last team, I would say, is... Um, you know, you can't. Really, I think I'm going to put a wild pick here. I think I think Spain could surprise a lot of people. I think Spain will have this. I mean, I think with the resurgence, uh, kind of even the resurgence, the the quality that Barcelona and and now Real Madrid have shown in their domestic leagues and obviously in the Champions League, especially with Barcelona. I feel like there are some quality quality players there that you know, while they are not a very experienced or very at the moment well-held uh, international side. I feel like in a year, two years' time, I think this Spanish side could really be a knocking on the door and, and surprising a lot of people. I think we'll see I think we'll see a very, very different and a very, very surprising Spain side uh, in the Euros next year. How many Spanish players played for Barcelona in the Champions League walkover final the other week? I know that Graham Hansen and Leakey Martins are the, uh, are the two non-Spanish players, so I would say nine out of 11. All right. I will take it. That wasn't a quiz question. I was just asking you. Uh, just, um, All right, okay. But no, I'm just looking at the... Didn't start, yeah. I've got the squad up here. There are, yes, Panos in goal, Leon, Torrejon in defence. The midfield is Patri, Alexia, and then forwards, Mariona, Hermoso. Oh, is that Asisato Schwala? Oh, that's fun. Yes. That's her. But she was on the bench. So if we're talking about starting eleven, because then there's Leaky Martins and Caroline Graham Hansen, who are Dutch and Norwegian respectively. And then I think the rest were all Spanish uh, who are starting. So uh, I think it's, 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 I think this Barcelona side could make up most of the Spanish side already. Well, that's pretty good because I read Sid Lowe's piece this morning about La Liga being in trouble because they've lost the two guys who have played the most Clásicos. Who and this I think the picture of the era is Sergio Ramos and Lionel Messi hugging. That's yeah. that's where we are in the men's game. <laughs> that is you never you wouldn't have thought that ten years ago. I mean they were they were at each other's throats in games, tackling each other, battling back and forth, and then suddenly you're here in two thousand twenty one, you know, thirteenth of August, you're sitting you're seeing pictures of uh 
of, of Ramos and, and, and uh, Messi hugging it out on the same team. And then you've got Neymar who wanted to escape the shadow of Messi, welcoming him back in open arms at his club PSG. So it's it's a strange time. And then you've got, you know, the, the next big kid in Kylian Mbappe kind of kind of hanging around in the background with them. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird time to, to be watching football in the men's game. The men's game. More on the women's game in the second half.